They say you have 30 seconds to grab anybody's attention in the podcast. I'm going to sacrifice that. Instead, we're going to have a minute of silence. The minute of silence is dedicated to the memory of George Floyd. It's meant as a prayer and a genuine hope for peace and an end to racial hatred. Um, I also want to add my voice to the genuine call for change in this world. There definitely needs to be change. And there's really no inferences about any other political beliefs I want made from this, okay? It is just a genuine hope that we genuinely need peace and tolerance and uh, an end to racial hatred in the world and to put my uh, voice to the voices lending their solidarity to the family of George Floyd. Thank you for listening. Here's your minute silence and normal programming will carry on after that. and Jewish educator. You are listening to a podcast number nine, which is going to be known as the Evil King Menashe. Last time we discussed King Hezekiah. We discussed how King Hezekiah managed to survive against the onslaught of the Assyrian Empire and the Assyrian Emperor Sennacherib's attempt to conquer Judah and most specifically, the city of Jerusalem. This time, we're going to be having a hunt for an evil king, and I'm going to start by telling a little story. The story takes place a long time later, in uh, what some people might call the Byzantine period, or Byzantine period, or probably more accurately, we could call it the Sassanid period, because it takes place in the Sasanian Empire in Persia, sometime around 370-ish, that's CE, 370 CE. Our focus is going to be on a study hall, sitting in a study hall in 
ancient Persia, sits a wise man, a great rabbi, and a teacher by the name of Rabbi Ashi, or Rav Ashi. He's one of the key rabbis in a book that's going to be called the Babylonian Talmud. So a story is told in the Babylonian Talmud that Rav Ashi sat teaching law to his students. He ended the class by saying, tomorrow we will learn about three kings who are my colleagues. By colleagues, he meant three kings doomed to be locked out of heaven. Yeah, three kings who were locked out of heaven. Jeroboam, known in Hebrew as Yeroboam, Ahav, Ahab, and Manasseh, or Manasseh. Some people think call him Manassas, right? That night, Rav Ashi had a dream, and Manasseh, Manasseh, appeared to Rav Ashi in that dream, and he appeared in his stately robes and his crown, holding his scepter, and he said to Manasseh, How dare you call me your equal? I am far superior to you. And the king, who had lived 500 years previous to Ravashi, began to give Ravashi a very, very weird quiz. He started to quiz him on all these different intricacies of very, very obscure laws, a lot of them to do with blessings. He asked questions like, you know, which so which part of a piece of bread do you cut it before saying the blessing? You don't know, do you? See, don't know that. You know, ask another question about about starting a blessing in a certain way. And Ravashi didn't know that. He says, see, you didn't know that either. Question after question after question. And Ravashi was just dumbfounded and didn't know what to answer. Seemingly, Manasseh was a expert in Jewish law. And Ravashi had had no idea. Ravashi was dumbfounded. He said... How come one such as you is so wise? You worshipped idols and false gods. How come you know all these answers to these intricate Jewish laws? And Manasseh said, Had you lived in those times, meaning the times of Manasseh, you would have lifted up your skirts and run to worship idols. Why are we mentioning this today? Today we're going to be discussing this evil King Manasseh. Uh, I didn't mention this story so that you could learn uh, about Manasseh from a Sassanid source. That would make no sense. The reason why I'm saying this story is because it illustrates the renown, the infamy, weight of Manasseh's nature, that he was known as the evil king when people thought of people locked out of heaven. We talked about Manasseh. And another thing that the text in the Babylonian Talmud seems to be pointing at is maybe there is a question about this infamy. Is he right to be called the evil king? That is the question today. Is it right that we call him the evil king? Now, obviously, all of this said is with the caveat that, no, I don't think a Byzantine source is really talking as a history textbook. Maybe it's talking more about the appealing nature of Hellenistic religion to young folk, or probably really the appealing nature of Zoroastrian religion to young folk. And was actually 
not really referring to the historical situation in the 7th century BCE, apart from anything else, if you happen to be using the Babylonian Talmud as a history textbook, well done. Really well done. I've been studying the Babylonian Talmud for about, what, 10 years now? I can barely make head or tail of it sometimes. So if you're managing to use it as an accurate history text, wow, I'm actually shockingly impressed. That's really good. That's something I get stuck on, you know, what individual words mean still. It's a very cryptic text, the Babylonian Talmud. It has multi-layered meanings and its main focus is religious wisdom. It's not really... uh, I used to grow up with these really cute books called The Little Ladybird History of whatever, like Little Ladybird History of Mining or something like that. Little Ladybird History of the Vikings. If you're using the Babylonian Talmud like that, uh, possibly not doing a service to the Babylonian Talmud. Probably, I don't really know how you're getting history out of it. Um, So why am I starting a story like that? Well, apart from I like to tell stories, I think... um, does pay to understand Menashe's dark reputation so we can understand him from a Jewish perspective and then also ask well was actually that the reality is that really what was going on is he ah evil king now if you read the book of kings is he our evil king yes of course he is the book of kings describes a king quite different from Hezekiah Hezekiah the text is telling you that he does evil what manner of evil? Well, pretty much, you name it, he does it. Uh, give you an example. You are not supposed to build high sacrificial places outside the temple. Yes, he builds high sacrificial places outside the temple. Then he worships, uh, I think, I hear some people call this Baal, but I call it Baal. Is a god mentioned in uh, the Bible, local Canaanite god. A big no-no. You're not supposed to worship Baal or Baal. Then he brings an Asherah tree inside the temple court. I rather think of this like bringing a Christmas tree in, right? Nice, you can hang things around the Asherah tree, leave little presents there. No, that's not an Asherah tree. An Asherah tree is, again, a tree that is worshipped. It's uh, really bad, really, really bad. Firstly, people suggest if where you get Asherah trees, you also get Asherah priestesses, and then you get naughtiness. Or maybe that's just people with overactive imagination, I don't know. But um, also, I think more for this podcast, Asherah might be a corruption of the word Ashur, and that's the god of the Assyrians. So that will be seditious behaviour. Now, some people are going to come along and tell you that actually, that is how the ancient Israelite religion really was. You know, you had God, who is known by the letters in uh, some of the n- names we use in Hebrew for him today, the letters w- corresponding to Y, H, V and H, or Y, H, W and H. Uh, there is an academic orthodoxy on how you pronounce that. Go look at books. I'm not saying it because I'm an Orthodox Jew and we don't like pr- to pronounce those letters. Um, but some people claim that people did pronounce those letters uh, and that was the name of a Canaanite god. And he had a wife who was called Ashera. Look, I'm not really going to get into that. That's not that there's countless podcasts you can listen to to understand ancient religions. Go, go do that there. Um, I 
would rather say that's not how Judaism is practiced today on the whole. It really messes up the story in the text if Menashe is going to go around doing things that are just fine. Like, the Book of Kings is really trying to say he's not doing things fine, and if you just list them and go, oh, well, that's acceptable in that day and age, and that's acceptable too in that day and age, and, well, we can do that as well in that day, but that that doesn't work, does it? It's like, here's a list of nice things he did, and we like him. That's not really what the text is saying. So, no, Asherah Tree, mm, the text doesn't seem to like Asherah Tree. Uh, I'm going to ignore what certain modern groups say about that. That's not the discussion in this podcast. Go to a Asherah worshipping podcast for that one. And then he does necromancy as well. I know, cool. I grew up with Dungeons and Dragons as well. I'm very excited about that one. It's bad, yes. And then he passes his son, what's a, a ritual called, passing his son through the fire to the god Molech. Oh, okay, I should explain that one as well. There's a fertility god called Molech, and there was some kind of ceremony where the child, we cannot sure whether he got sacrificed in a big fire or he got actually literally passed over a big flamey pit of fire into the hands or maybe mouth of a big statue of Molech's idol whilst Iron Maiden plays a really cool kind of song about slaughtering no, I lied. Iron Maiden doesn't do that in the text. I mean, I can imagine Iron Maiden doing that in the text, but that's a different thing. That's obviously to do with me. So they did this Molech ritual, according to the text, in a place called the ben Hinnom Valley. Now, the Valley of ben Hinnom became so popular to this that it's lent its name to another theme indelibly stamped on a religious consciousness, especially Jewish consciousness, that does pertain to this podcast. The name in Hebrew is Gay Ben Hanom. That's Valley of Ben Hanom. And then that got contracted to Gehenim or Gehenna. Or in Arabic, as is Jehenna. It means hell. Um, now, if you want, you can join me in Jerusalem. It's a very, very nice place. Uh, in a tour of the Valley of Ben Hanom. And then you can have a t-shirt saying my tour guide took me to Gay Ben Hinnom and back. According to the Book of Kings, he literally worshipped every foreign god he could possibly find. The, the prophets cursed him and they said that he started the process ending in the destruction of the temple. Uh, he's also allied to the Assyrians and again, we didn't like that. Great, uh, there's all the biblical sources. Off we go to the extra biblical sources. Let's look at the archaeology right now. Great, wonderful, okay, good. Off we go. Wait, 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 that's it. Menasha is an evil mustache twirling villain. That's that's your history? Well, you know, and it's not even good Bible reading. Well, you know, it may interest you to know that there is more than one version of events, even in the Torah. And the, these events don't always tally that well. In Divrei Hayamim, which means Chronicles, Chronicles 2, we have a slightly different story. We have Menashe. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention, how old was he when we started to rule? Anybody know? Twelve. Uh, yeah. Funnily enough, twelve-year-old boys easily led astray, especially by, you know, powerful courtiers. And the like. And how many years did he rule for? 
55 years. Good grief. Now, Stalin ruled for 30 years, and you can't even make generalizations about the whole period. So the same goes for ancient kings. Now, Chronicle tells us a more complex story. Menashe does evil. He builds high sacrificial places outside the temple. He worships Baal. Baal. He brings an Asherah tree into the temple court. Check. He does necromancy. Check. He even passes his son through the fire to Molech. That's what we said before. And worships every god he can. And then, Chronicles tells us, then he was taken away in chains to Assyria. And there he remained for a shockingly long time. Yeah, Menasheh, the willing friend of the Assyrians. I'm sure he is a willing friend, right? In chains. Whilst in chains, he calls out to God and he repents. Then he comes back to Jerusalem, removes all the idols and behaves himself. And then he builds walls and continues his father Hezekiah or Hezekiah's built rebuilding work. So what are you going to believe? What's the evidence? Firstly, there is absolutely a Menashe. This is, this is not something where I'm going to just tell you some story and there's no sources connected with it. No, there absolutely is a Menashe. No question about that whatsoever, even slightly, even at all, there is a Menashe. We know we're dealing with a historical actor. How? So we have a prism of clay like before. See, you can always come along with these useful prisms of clay coming to help us. Wonderful. And uh, in the, it's also in the British Museum originally from Nineveh, modern Iraq. We have the description of a temple being built and foreign kings being brought to ask as, guess what, slaves to build this temple. And one of these kings is called Manasseh. That's pretty close to Manasseh, king of Iuda, Judah. So what on earth is happening here? Well, you have to read the text closely and join the dots together. What is the last thing we're told about Hezekiah is just before he died, he allies himself to the Babylonians. Just after that, uh, his son, the boy king, Manasseh, starts idol worship. Could it be that a young Manasseh was led astray by powerful foreign advisors? Is there a power play at the Judean court that we, the text doesn't really talk about? Because it's the Bible, it's not Bloomberg. Or, you know, Newsnight from the BBC or Hard Talk or one of these things. Maybe something happened in Nineveh that changed Menashe. Let's carry on with the history and maybe it'll all become clear or at least clearer or more confusing. I don't know. The physical archaeology of Menashe is an interesting one. As we said, you can't dig up Jerusalem and its surroundings without bumping into Hezekiah repeatedly. We've got massive walls, we've got these water supply tunnels, as we mentioned last time, we've got collection jug handles with Hezekiah's logo, and I know I promised to have pictures of some of that up, and it'll get done for this podcast, okay? At least by the time the necklace one's out. Menashe, well, that's a bit of an argument, what archaeology we have from that. It all surrounds the datings of two features on a number of sites. Uh, the two features are one, pottery, two, destruction layers. Now dating pottery is really the basis of archaeology today and the source of much argument among archaeologists. The main crux of the dating issue includes the dating of a variant jug handle. So we said how Hezekiah's sign appears on what's known as these lamelech jug handles, what could be collection boxes, what also could be uh, 
storage jars for food. And I have a theory that it's actually a mixture of the two collecting food for the king. La Melech means to the king. And also some of the jars as well are saying to the king, meaning to Hezekiah, had also Hezekiah's logo, what we've actually confirmed to be Hezekiah's logo, based on having a picture of the logo and then having his name. There were some suggestions that some jugs are found after a destruction layer. Now, this is really serious. You'd probably say some of these destruction layers are from Sennacherib or Sanharif, the guy from last time. Uh, if you're not understanding a lot of these things, go and listen to Podcast 8, really. So these destruction layers from the time of Sennacherib and the jug handles appear after, so that, that means a later king is using them. Also, or possibly, there's an argument about that too, and some of the jugs uh, have a markedly different little rosette pattern, I believe, on them some people say that indicates a different king i actually happen to have some inside knowledge on this not going to tell you about the inside knowledge i'm really sorry uh this is connected to academic propriety this is something to do with it just not being my story to tell yet i absolutely want to go back to this whole jug handle thing absolutely i do and I'm going to do either a special podcast or a YouTube video or something like that on a later date explaining my tiny connection to these jug handles, but not now. So just just trust me, it, it, these jug handles, very significant. Good reason to think somebody else is collecting or storing things. And we're going to call this uh, maybe a king after Hezekiah. And fair enough to say the king after Hezekiah, especially based on the Assyrian source, should really be called Menashe. So there we go. Now, it would help to have something Menashe wrote. We don't, we don't. But we, we do have something at least biblical he wrote or created. And that's his son's name. That can also give us an indicator of who he is. His name is Ammon. This is like being a religious Jew and calling your kid Christian. Uh, by the way, by religious, I mean normative orthodox. Don't, you know, we're not going to talk about other other groups here. So calling your kid Christian, that would be a bit strange now. So what's Ammon? Ammon or Amun is the Egyptian god of the sun. You might have heard in history class a guy called Amun-Ra, uh, or Amun-Hotep, who was a pharaoh. So Amun was not a Jewish name. I read a very, very well-written article by a guy called Dominic Rudman. He sees the naming of Menashe's son Amun to be a reference to his time serving the Assyrians and their army. And he discusses that the prism that we mentioned also states that various kings, including Menashe of Judah, joined the emperor Es Haradon, that's the one after Sancharib, Sennacherib, on a campaign in Egypt. And maybe Ammon was named for a battle or some kind of tribute to a happening in the city, the Egyptian city of No Ammon. Whether this really is a tribute to Menashe's liege lords, or maybe is actually doing a sly one and going for the Egyptians too, you know, riding both horses there. Or maybe is showing his allegiance to his belief in an Egyptian god. We're not sure. I like to emphasise, to understand this period of history, 
don't just look at the actions of the ruler and what he thinks. This is a monarchy with a palace and all the monarchies with palaces tend to have courts. And a court, an influential group of people or groups of influential persons each orbiting around the king and vying with the others for power, this would affect how you view the Judean kings and their Assyrian empires and the new upcoming rivals. And you have to realise that complicated global elites vying for power didn't just pop into existence during the Cold War. That would make an awesome t-shirt, though. You should write that on the t-shirt, yeah. I imagine various forces in the Judean court all vying for power, pro-Assyrian forces, pro-Egyptian forces, anti-polytheist forces. It's, again, the backdrop of this struggle that a short time after Manasseh dies, only two years after ruling, it became apparent that Ammon, his son, was not going to behave like a reformed Menasha, rather like the idol-worshipping, evil-tree-planting, baby-burning Menasha, And a cabal of courtiers of some kind of uh, less idol-worshipping bent had him murdered. What courtiers were pushing... For Menasha to worship idols is my question coming from that. And what courtiers were pushing Menasha to ally with Egypt or with Syria or with Babylon? Were these guys around at the time of Hezekiah? I think it's a good time to have a quick pause and have a look at what's happening in Assyria because this is mirroring what's going on here. Since the death of Hezekiah, there's been, I guess we said, mirroring narrative, at least mirroring the story of Ammon and Menasha. According to Babylonian histories, uh, and the implication from another prism, it, the prism of Esharadon, it seems that Sennacherib himself dies through palace intrigue. Kings 2 also writes about this, the Bible writes about this, how whilst praying at the temple of Nisroch, two of his sons, Adramelech and Sharedzo, assassinate Sennacherib. Now, these names, Nisroch, Adramelech and Sharedzo, you don't see them in Assyrian sources. Uh, doesn't mean to say that they're not accurate. Uh, it doesn't mean to say the story isn't accurate because it does. It fits in with the Babylonian narrative. Uh, it's just language and the transfer of names across this distance is a little bit more difficult these days. Uh, just imagine, even today, uh, we say names of things like Beijing. I'm told the name Beijing, that is not how you say Beijing in the language which they speak in Beijing, which I think is Mandarin. Uh, that, that's the same here. Like you've got these names that are not necessarily going to be exactly the same in the uh, Babylonian or uh, Assyrian source. The next emperor along as Haradon, uh, by the way, his name also includes the word Ashur, uh, connecting to the Asherah tree here, it seems pretty clear on the matter in Thompson's prison what's going on. The theme here is, though, important. The world lives under a fear of shadowy figures with connections to courtly life. It's not enough to be a king. It's not even enough to be religious, or the right kind of religious for whatever's important in terms of the politics um you've got to survive so in terms of menasha we're left with a king 
isn't entirely bad. He certainly has a redeeming moment in his life. He comes back from Syria, starts some kinds of religious reforms. He also expands the area of Judea. I don't know if we can really accredit him with being an evil king. I think we started with the story about him approaching Ravashi, and the question is, what would you do in his shoes? You become the king aged 12 with these courtiers. Are you really going to be able to stand up to all that pressure? And uh, you see the menasha of, of kings and the menasha also represented by archaeology seems to be not a, a two-dimensional character where he's just the evil king. He has is a character with progression with changes he starts as out as the idol worshipper and possibly even the child sacrificer and in the end he becomes the religious reformer and the expander of Judea so I think we're going to have to look somewhere else for an evil king and my recommendation is that maybe we look for an evil king either in the next king along Ammon or the king after that Josiah or possibly in a different king altogether tune in for part two the search for the evil king the good king Josiah you might have heard me said repeatedly again and again how I'm a tour guide you might well understand that there is no more touring in Israel for the foreseeable future please God that should be over very very soon but at the moment I'm not actually working as a tour guide at all I'm actually working lifting buckets of sand in the hot sun in an archaeological site not as an archaeologist I don't actually have a degree in archaeology I'm just an enthusiast I'm not saying this because I want pity I really really don't I'm very happy to have work I'm very happy to have very meaningful work why am I mentioning this well now I really am be doing these podcasts just out of love. Uh, I really love the podcasts. Um, I want to carry on doing the podcasts. I want you to be involved. And I want you to be involved both by commenting. Please comment if you want to do something nice for me. Please comment. Please subscribe on whatever format you're listening to this on. Comments can go in the comment section. Um, like this share it with your friends, share this on social media. I don't believe that this should be a paid service, but if you want to show your support, um, please visit my Ko-fi account, ko-fi.com slash scoutisrael, or just search for it on ko-fi. And we're doing this just so you can show your appreciation. I might send you a little uh, something to show my appreciation for this but this isn't patreon uh the whole thing is still intended to be free but if you want this to carry on so i can pay bills and also so maybe i can give a few improvements to the podcast and also pay for the subscription to the podcast service it would be helpful to have a little bit extra money so please visit my ko-fi account also i think it's evident that these podcasts have not been happening with enough regularity. So 
all things being well, it is my intention that exactly a month from today, there will be a new podcast. You've been listening to the History of Judaism. My name's Yossi Silverman. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.